0: All right, Psalm chapter 23 this morning, if you would take out your Bibles and open up to Psalm 23, we are looking at one of the most famous, one of the most beautiful poems and psalms in all of human history, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is our second sermon in the series, and we're going to start off by reading the whole psalm beginning in verse one. Let me read this for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All together, amen? Amen. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful prayer. But something really, as we look at it, really jumps off at the page at you. And that is that first expression. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 2 and 3 in particular, but I want to begin by uh, following up from our last sermon in this by looking at verse 1. I see, the Lord is my shepherd. We covered that last time, last time I preached. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't know about you, but I want all the time. And I know the Lord is my shepherd. And you know the Lord is your shepherd, hopefully, Amen? And yet you certainly want things all the time. Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are happy. Which is it? Are we to want or not to want? Now, we're most certainly to want, but the question in Christianity is not whether you want something. The question is, who do you want? Who do you want? Do you want the Lord and his gifts that he has ordained for you? Or do you want the idols of this world? But we all want, we're craving individuals, we're craving humans, we are needy people, we want. And the only way to understand this really is to realize that this is the old use of the word want. And that modern translators that are, that are translating Psalm 23, they don't have as much license to change the wording as you would with some of the other psalms because this psalm is so well known and so beautiful, right? So they capture the psalm and they keep the same translation as you would have had in the King James or the Geneva translation, some of the more traditional translations. And it's a good translation. It's just that the word want in t- today's um, English usage is not exactly what it once was. So you can look in some modern translations and you can see that they change it to, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack for anything. But that doesn't help us out either because we lack all the time, right? Right? I shall not want. I do want. I shall not lack anything. I lack a lot of things. I can tell you right now some things that I lack. I lack a a healthy throat, right? That doesn't itch and burn at the moment, right? And that's probably most of you this morning. And King David wrote this, right? And he certainly lacked his wives when they were kidnapped, right? He lacked his reputation when it was being slandered by Absalom. He lacked political leverage when he was being uh, threatened by Goliath and, and threatened by Saul, he lacked bread when he didn't have any bread and had to borrow the bread from the holy bread at the tabernacle. He lacked a sword. He lacked a lot of things. He lacked health when he lay on his, on his deathbed during Absalom's revolution. He lacked a lot of things, and you certainly lack things as well, right? You lack, but here it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I do want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, I do lack. It's tricky. How do we understand this? And this is a good point, and I'm not going to belabor this point all morning long, but this is the reason why you must study your Bible in context. In context. This phrase, I shall not want or I shall not lack, only makes sense in the context of the entire Bible. In the con- and we're not going to preach the whole Bible this morning, but it's in the context of the Bible that this makes sense. And it's in the context of this whole verse that it makes sense. So let me say it to you in another way. If the Lord is your shepherd and you are trusting and obeying him, amen, following in his footsteps, following in the paths that he leads you down as a, a faithful steward, being strategic with your life in the little things for the kingdom of God, obeying him and trusting him as the shepherd, then you can believe that there will be nothing that you want that you don't have. And there will be nothing that you need, that you do not have. It sounds like a a, a bit of a dramatic statement, but listen very carefully. If you abide in Jesus Christ, ask of him anything and he will grant it to you. That's what he says. Those are his precise words. Abide in me and ask anything in the father's name and I will grant it to you. Isn't that something? In other words, if you are following Jesus Christ as a good little sheep, and he is your shepherd, and you are being a faithful steward, working strategically for the kingdom, reaping, in order, reaping kingdom seed in order that you might sow, then ask anything of him, and he will give it to you. Or something better. Amen? Ask anything of him. Now, if you are not being a steward, <coughs> sorry, this is going to be like that all morning, but if you're not being a steward, if you're not being faithful, if you're living in sin, if you're asking it in order that you might consume it upon your lusts, as James says, then forget about it, you know? But if you are trusting and obeying King Jesus and you want to live for his kingdom, ask him for anything and he will give it to you or something better. Now, I know that we don't believe that because if we did believe that, we'd ask for way more, wouldn't we? we would ask for way more. Yet it is clear, I believe, and maybe this is just for me personally, but it is clear that we are fairly content and complacent with the way things are. We don't have quite a a big vision. We don't have a lot of things to ask for. And some of the things we ask for, we already even have it. And we're not too worried about it. Romans chapter eight, verse 32 says this. This is another way of saying Psalm 23, one, he who did not spare his own son, But gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously graciously give us all things? I'm not saying that life is going to be perfect and rosy. Jesus promises us prosperity and persecution, the perfect mixture of it. What I'm saying is that if you ask him for something, he will give it to you or something better. Because honestly, we don't always know what to ask for. Amen? We asked as a church to be able to build this building debt free and he gave that to us. Don't, let's not forget that. That doesn't happen every day, amen? Let's not forget that we built a building for a million two, and we don't have any debt from the building of it. But here's where I'm at. We should have asked for more. He gave us exactly that. What we should have asked for was, let's build, God, help us to build this debt-free with a whole lot of margins left over in the bank account. We should have asked for that. But our faith wasn't strong enough. Our vision wasn't big enough. We didn't believe enough. And so we didn't ask. We didn't receive because we didn't ask. I believe we were being faithful. We wanted to steward this for the kingdom of God. Amen. But we we asked and we received. But what a good lesson. The lesson is give thanksgiving to God because he answers prayers. But also, hey, maybe we need to go bigger. Maybe Maybe we need a bigger vision for your family. What do you ask for? What would you have him to do for you in your family, in your business, as a steward, strategically um, moving for the kingdom of God? What would you have? What would you want? If he is your shepherd and you are his sheep, you will not want, there won't be a want that you won't have. Now, I'm not saying that it's automatic and instantaneous. We know that from the sowing and reaping series, amen, that he gives it to us as a covenantal father in his timing, right? I'm not saying that he answered the prayer for building this building debt-free immediately. It actually took a whole year of of kind of wrestling with the anxiety over it all and shame on me and shame on all of us, right? We should have just believed from the very beginning. Amen? But he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, And this isn't to make us be complacent and say, well, if I'm not going to want and I'm not going to lack, then what do I need to do? He's going he's to take care of me. No, we're not to be complacent. This is to spur us on to more action, to more activity, to more prayer. To more prayer. Amen. I've just been convinced over the course of my life and, and over the course of the last few years that Jesus really does know us and he sees us and he answers our prayers. He answers our prayers. So I got a few prayers for you this morning. I got three prayers for us and they come right out of our text. But I I want you to think of all the prayers you should be praying and everything you need to be asking Jesus for. But I have three prayers for us. And the first one comes out of verse two. Let's look at verse two one more time. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now let let me draw out some of this for you. Notice he, that is Jesus Christ, makes doesn't make possible, right? He makes me, this is personal. It's true for us corporately, but this is also personal. He makes me lie down in really healthy, nourishing places in green pastures, which is to say something in a desert climate. That means that he has already prepared the pastures, and that took a lot of work removing the stones, tilling the soil, uh, seeding the soil, removing all the poisonous weeds. So he's already prepared the green pasture. But now, in space and time, in our very own lives, he makes me to lie down. And sheep are notoriously restless. I, I read a whole book on shepherding this week, and, um, or last week, and, I have, uh, and I've had dozens of sheep over the course of my life, and so I have a little bit of personal familiarity with this, but sheep are notoriously restless. Some dogs can lay down even with a burglar breaking in, right? But sheep never lay down, and it is nearly impossible to make them lie down. Bugs, the annoying and the irritating bugs that are buzzing around their head, constantly makes them restless. Health concerns, foot rot, blue tongue. A sheep can be, can have so much health concerns. And I've seen and heard of stories where sheep were so plagued by bugs and health concerns that they banged their heads into a, to a tree until they killed themselves. They lied down, right? But that's not the kind of lying down we want. There's also health and bugs and fear. Sheep are afraid of everything. They're afraid when they shouldn't be afraid. And hunger can drive a sheep to, to desperately look for one more clump of grass, even by, while putting itself in danger. And then there's the wolves. And then there's the bullies in the, in the flock. And anyone who's ever had sheep know that there's, when the shepherd is not around, some of the sheep get nervous. And the way they channel their nervousness is by headbutting all the other sheep. So nobody can chill. Nobody can rest. Nobody can be at peace but Jesus can make you lie down. Aren't we like sheep? We are notoriously restless people, frantic, frenetic, restless about all sorts of things. I mean, don't raise your hand, but how many of us spend many good quality sleeping hours just laying in our beds worried about stuff? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to be the only one either, so... How many of us do that so regularly that we have sort of a mantra, sort of a, a liturgy over it where we worry and we worry. Finally, it takes us just a little while while we say, well, I need to pray about this instead of just meditating on it. And then we pray about it, right? And then we try to remind ourselves that it's never this bad when the sun comes up, that our evening brain is just so weak and frail and worrisome. We're sheep. We are prone to restlessness. Amen? Amen. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And I want you to see if you can identify yourself in this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's good, hospitality. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Amen. That's what we're doing right now. We're sitting at the feet of the Lord. I'm ministering to you through the preaching of the word, but Jesus is the one speaking to us in the presence of Jesus. But how many of us have something else on our mind? We are restless as sheep, bugs flying around, buzzing, right? Cups falling all over the concrete, you know, who knows what's distracting us, but we're like that, aren't we? We're restless, we're sheep. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was just distracted, by all the preparations that had to be made, she came to, to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my deadbeat sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I love what the shepherd says to this restless sheep. Martha, Martha. Right? Now, you shouldn't say Martha, Martha to a Martha. They don't usually take it kindly. But, but Jesus can say whatever he wants to say. Martha. Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one thing is needed right now. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. Wow. You know, there's two things you need. Well, there's a lot of things you need to be a good host. But two things in my experience that I've seen that you need to to have good hospitality. You need to be able to cook. Someone's got to need to be able to cook. And, and someone in the room needs to be good at chit-chat. Amen? And some of us are good at cooking and cleaning, and we got that down. And others of us are good at chit-chatting, right? And we can entertain people, even strangers in our own home, and some of us are good at both of those things, right? And then some of us, like myself, are good at neither, right? <laughs> yeah, but Mary was really good at at chit-chatting, at resting, sitting at the feet of the Savior. He had, as her good shepherd, in the midst of all the distractions, in the midst of all the chaos and all the things going on in their life, Jesus had calmed her heart so that she could sit there and just listen to him speak and talk and enjoy his company, enjoy his fellowship and his communion. Yet Martha, 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 scurrying all about. I mean, you know you can identify with this, can't you? You know what she was worried about. She was worried about all the mess that was going to be left over for the next day, and she was going to have to pick it up all by herself. Who's been there before, right? She's worried about the trash that needs to be taken out. She's worried about the five-course meal and everything coming out at the perfect time. And if you know anything about Martha types, they keep themselves busy very often in the kitchen so that they don't have to go do the chit-chatting, right? Which leaves people like me, you know, really in a desperate situation, just saying. But, but Martha, Martha, scurrying about, busy, busy, busy. But Jesus says, no, no, Martha, Martha, I am the good shepherd and I would have you to lay down in spite of the bugs and the fears and the bullies and the wolves and the lacks, in spite of whatever affliction might be engaged in your life right now, the good shepherd can, can heal your Martha heart. Amen? Amen. And we all got a little Mary in us and a little Martha in us, but we know that Jesus Christ and put more Mary in us where we lack. Amen. Let's go on to the second prayer. The second prayer is found in verse three. Ask him to lead you beside the still waters. The still waters. First, ask him to make you lie down in green pastures. Jesus, my heart is restless. It's a bit neurotic. I'm filled with nervousness and anxiety perpetually. And in 2024, I want it to be a year of peace. Lord, would you make me lie down? I need you to make me lie down. And then second, Lord, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Direct my steps, direct my path beside the still water so that when I need to drink, I drink from the clean, fresh waters that you provide. Amen? You see, sheep, like humans, don't go out of their way. They can't. They don't have the capacity to find clean and fresh water. They're prone to drink from the closest mud puddle filled with amoebas and mosquito larvae and and dysentery. One of the greatest threats to any shepherd is the fact that sheep don't go out of their way to drink from fresh water. They drink from any old urine-filled mud puddle anywhere near them. And this causes quite a bit of health concerns. And that's exactly how humans are, amen? We're the same way. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, God has provided you himself, Amen Christ Church, and all of his good gifts that he has given you, and it is like a spring of living water that is sprung up inside of your very own heart, Jesus says. But for the metaphor's sake, it's like a spring of living water that sprung up in your backyard, and you're out there instead digging a a pit so that you can capture runoff rainwater from your own roof. That's what idolatry is like. That's what sin is like. That's what sheep are like. Amen? You see, God has given you a beautiful wife, the wife of your youth. Yet how many Christian men turn instead to watch other dudes have sex on the Internet? Now, that is a dirty, nasty mud puddle. Amen? That is a nasty, defiling mud puddle. And yet, how often and how common is that? God wants to give you communion with himself, times of peace and quiet with himself in prayer. And yet, what do we do? We turn to dopamine hits that only last for a second or two. God wants to give you a purpose and a mission in life, and yet sloth steals all of your time gluttony steals your energy and your passion. God has given you a wonderful house and family and friends, but we can't stop fantasizing about something more. We can't lie down in green pastures. We can't be led beside the still waters, constantly looking for some dirty mud hole to drink from, when God is right there and all of his good gifts and his perfectly soul-reviving law is right there for us to walk in. Amen, that's how sheep are, but we need to pray and ask him, lead me to the still waters and and help me, cause me to drink from what you provide. You see, the Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Is your soul need reviving? God can show you how to live. He can show you the way you need to walk. He can quench your thirst, but you've got to trust in what He provides for you. Amen, Christ Church. C.S. Lewis said that God would give us a holiday at the beach, and we'd rather settle for making mud pies in the slum. No, thank you. But think about the contrast. Think about idolatry and sin as opposed to just following God's law and trusting and obeying Him and receiving from His hand what He would give us. One is very easy. Amen. How hard is it to drink from a spring? What do you need to do, really? You really just need to do it. You just lean over a little bit and dip your cup and drink out of it. And it's always there, right? But what about idolatry and sin? I mean, it takes a long time to dig a pit. A lot of sweat, a lot of blood, a lot of toil. And that's the way sin is. Sin is tiresome and draining. And then even after you dig the whole pit, it doesn't hold water. It's, it's fulfilling but for how long? It's a fragmentary fulfillment. It eventually just leaks right out, but God's springs of living water never rush out. Amen. And then that isn't even to mention the fact that after you drink from the dirty mud puddle of sin and idolatry, there's natural consequences. Dysentery, plague, amoebas, brain amoebas. There's the natural consequences of of turning to the mud puddles of this world of sin and idolatry rather than just receiving God and his beautiful blessings for you. And then there's the judicial consequences where God judges you for your sin and you reap what you sow. But the shepherd, if you would ask him, can lead you beside the still waters so that every day you learn to drink from what he has provided you and not from the nasty mud puddles of sin and idolatry. Amen? Now, you need to remember these, because at the end of the sermon, we're going to pray for each and every one of these. Third prayer, this is our third final prayer. Ask him to restore your soul. It's right there in verse 3 again. It says, he restores my soul. King David needed his soul restored after the Bathsheba and the Uriah incident. But ask him to restore your soul. There's no animal more likely to get lost and to wander from the flock and from the safe path than a sheep. Pastor Stewart's dog ran away this week, and three days later it came back. Sheep don't do that. Sheep don't do that. I've had a lot of animals. I have had uh, pigs and peacocks and rabbits, fish. I've had a lot of animals, pheasants even. They all return. Sheep do not return. When they're lost, they don't even know that they're lost. They don't even know that they're in the neighbor's yard. They don't even know that they're in danger and they don't return. Cats and dogs return, homeward bound, you've seen that. But, but sheep are prone to wander, amen? You know how the hymn goes, we sing it. We are sheep, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God that we love, amen? But a shepherd can restore you. He can help you to find your way back. He can bring back the the backslider. Amen. He can restore the prodigal. It's not always easy. If you know the story of the prodigal son, God had to enlist the the help of pigs to bring him back, but God brought him back. And if you know the story of the Corinthian adulterer, God enlisted the, the help of Satan, in fact, to bring the Corinthian adulterer back, but he brought him back. Amen. It's not always difficult like that. Peter, after the denial of Jesus Christ, Peter committed a terrible sin, a sin not unlike Judas's really. He denied Jesus right in his moment of need, right? Left his, his greatest friend completely alone in this world. Peter was so distraught, he went back to fishing and gave up on the whole apostle thing. But what did Jesus, the restorer of our souls, the shepherd, that shepherd met that little sheep lost at the Sea of Galilee and called him to himself and made him some bread and made him some fish and said, Peter, do you love me? You know the story, right? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Three times he said it because three times Peter had denied him. Jesus is the restorer of those who fall away from him. So pray, have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you lost the passion and the zeal of the mission that you once had when you were a young man? Have you lost a child to sin? Have you lost a spouse? Ask him to restore you, or if you don't need to be restored at the very moment, ask him to preserve you so that you never get lost, amen? And then ask him to restore those people in your family. I told you that he is your shepherd and he answers prayers. Do you have a lost child? Then go to him like Hezekiah and present the arguments. Present the arguments. Go to him like Jacob and present the arguments. Go to him and say, Lord, you have given me children. You said to me that you would be God to me and God over me, and you would be God to my children as well. I claim those promises. Would you restore him that there might be another soul in your kingdom, that you might be glorified, that good might be done to my family, that this church might see see all of this restoration and rejoice in him. If there is someone that needs to be restored, you pray for them. Ask for restoration for your apostate neighbor. We all have apostate neighbors. They were raised as Christians, and yet they've forgotten the Lord. Say their name in the throne room of heaven that they might be restored. He is the good shepherd, and he restores. Amen? Amen. So one more time, listen, pray that he would make you lie down. 2024 needs to be a year of peace and calm. We don't need restlessness in our lives and nervousness and anxiety. makes us make stupid and sinful decisions and pray that he would restore prodigals, restore backsliders, restore anyone who's blown their life up because of sin, and ask him to lead us beside the still waters of his law and of his goodness. Amen, Christ Church. All right, let's all stand, and we're gonna make a prayer of petition, as we always do, and I'd invite you to pray along with me in your heart, and I'd invite you not to be distracted or restless, but like Mary to sit at the feet of Christ in the presence of Christ and speak with him now, offering to him your petitions. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we lift up to you, the good shepherd, everyone in this room who may be wrestling with a secret sin. We pray that they would be reminded this morning that if we judge ourselves, we, be not, we need not be judged. And we lift up to you all those who have left this church over the years and left Christ as well. We pray, Father, that you would restore them. The Bible says that angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner is found. How much more would we rejoice if a prodigal would be returned? If apostates would be given the gift of repentance? We ask that you would bring back those who have left you. We pray, Father, for each and every one of us who struggles with anxiety and fear. We pray that you would make us, in spite of ourselves, in spite of all the particular difficulties of this life, make us to lie down in green pastures. We pray for those whose zeal is dried up, whose passion for the kingdom of God is at a loss. We pray that you would restore zeal and passion in the hearts of everyone in Christ church. And Lord, we lift up to you those who wish to be married, that you would give them their spouse. That your kingdom would grow. That your glory would grow. And we pray for all those who want children, that you would bless their wombs. You are our shepherd and we shall not want, and we ask you, we ask, Father, that you would continue to preserve this church financially. But we ask, Lord, for larger margins that we might do more ministry for the kingdom of heaven. We ask the same for every household in this church. As we are being faithful stewards, would you increase increase the grain in our barns that we might overflow to this community and to your church? And we pray for our nation 2024 might not be a year of revolution and, and, and tumult and chaos and hatred, but rather a year of reformation and revival. And we pray the same for our very own hearts this morning. In Jesus Christ's name and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen.